Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Minkeely, and my latest cookbook is The Italian Table. The Italian Table is glorious, from the recipes to the photos. The first thing you see when you open the cookbook is the stunning kitchen with rustic blue and white tile and blue and white plates hung on the wall. Is this your kitchen? Oh, I wish. (laughs) That's a kitchen in a beautiful castle outside of Rome, although I've spent a lot of time in it. Oh, that tile is to die for. Beautiful. And, you know, a lot of the kitchen, I I didn't get into all the kitchens in the book, but the particularly beautiful ones I tried to include since they're so inspirational. I can't figure out what's more beautiful in this cookbook, your writing or your photographs. What do you love more? Uh, Well, you know, for me, since the kinds of books I've always done have been so image driven, I can't imagine one without the other. And I I see the photographs as giving a different dimension to the words. And, And that's always been my response to cookbooks. You know, I love I love obviously recipes that work, but I love the story behind them. But I I also like the visual inspiration, whether it's actually the food or the place settings or the tiles on the kitchen wall. Me too. So I found it interesting that each chapter captures a specific meal that you experienced in Italy. Describe how this cookbook is laid out. Well, the way I was trying to decide how to combine my competing passions for, you know, interior design and setting and history with food. And I realized that it all came together at the table. And once I decided that, I wanted to uh, share as many different kinds of meals as possible to show uh, my readers how Italians really eat. I mean, you know, most people imagine certain dishes with Italy, whether it's pasta or pizza or gelato. Um, but people aren't eating those things all day long, and they're not eating them perhaps in the way that people think. So so while the you know the settings are beautiful, these are really the way people eat, whether it's at the beach, whether it's on a you know, coffee break, you know, grabbing a slice of pizza in Rome, whether it's in a summer vacation villa outside of in Umbria. So I wanted to have a great range and that way to be able to explore both the setting and the food on the table. Yeah, I noticed that you really drill down beyond the ingredients, beyond the cooking technique. Like you'll get the pasta in the bowl, but what about the bowl or the tool used to get the pasta from the bowl to the plate or even the linens that cover the table. I love that part. Yeah, that's my, I love that part too. And not just because it uh, involves shopping opportunities. Um, <laughs> what I really love about it is that it really, you know, cause when you go to a place, um, you might have a great meal and you might support the local restaurants in a way, but there's other ways that you can learn more deeply about a region and that's by visiting its artisans. And, you know, a lot of people will see pretty, you know, ceramics from Italy and stop there knowing that they're from Italy. But I really like to, to, you know, drive home why this certain kind of plate shows up if you're on the beach in Positano, why a different kind of, of bowl shows up if you're in a small town in Puglia, and what those mean, and, and, and explore a bit about the people who are actually making those bowls, who are often the people that are eating those dishes anyway. Here's the question I'm dying to know the answer to. How did a girl from St. Louis end up in Rome as an expert on Italian cuisine? Oh, well, that goes back to um, the fact that when I was 12 years old, I was living in St. Louis and my parents took a vacation and they went to Italy and they did Florence, Venice, Rome. And they came back and instead of getting back to our life, they packed up our house, sold the business and we moved to Rome for two years. And although we only stayed there for two years, uh, and then moved back to the States, we always came back in the summer. 
And so I always felt at home, whether it was in Italy or Spain or France, trying to get away, find a way to get back. And, and that way came back in graduate school. And in the late 80s, I decided if I picked a, you know, my dissertation topic correctly, I could get somebody else to sort of fund my permanent vacation. And I did. And I ended up in Florence working on 16th century gardens. And then along the way, I met my Italian husband and started having Italian babies and Italian dogs. And, and that's when my new career really shifted gears from academia to publishing. And at the beginning, I was writing predominantly about art and architecture and design, but almost really, really shortly thereafter, I also started writing about food, but always in a cultural context. You know, when I was writing for Bon Appetit or Food and Wine or Town and Country, I would write about restaurants, but more um, not just as a place to find good food, but as a way to dive deeper into the culture. Tell me about where you live. Um, I currently divide my time between Rome and uh, Umbria. Umbria is a region located just nor- in between, Rome, let's say, Rome and Florence. And my main house is a little apartment in the old section of Rome called Monti. It's uh, a little, I'm now talking to you from my office on the roof of our building. Uh, we've been living here. My husband had the apartment when I met him. My kids have been born here. And um it's right. I mean, if I walk down, I just now walk down the street and my cash machine is from my ATM is in front of the Coliseum, um, which is kind of nice. Oh, wow. And then our house up in Umbria, which uh, is on the cover of the book, actually, uh, we spend the summers there and have a vet- big vegetable garden and we have olive trees. So we make our own olive oil and and that's that's where we live. How old is your house in Umbria? It looks like it's stone. It's made out of stone, and the house itself is, uh, I would say, it parts date back to the 16th century. Wow. And, you know, like all it's these gorgeous. houses, they've built, built onto over the years, and we restored it. My husband's uh, architect, and his specialty is restoring these houses into um, inhabitable places. And, in fact, two of my books talk about restoring houses in Italy. Talk a bit about how the Italian food words are the hardest to tackle, like cicchetti in Venice, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. What is it and where would we eat it? Well, cicchetti is a word that yeah exists only in Venice. It took me a really hard time to figure out what it means because people translate it into tapas, you know, because we think we know what that means, or uh, little bites. Um, and, and they kind of are both those things. But when you say it to a Venetian, they know exactly what it means. and It has a, social, a sort of social context. It means little things to eat along with a glass of wine so you don't get too drunk because that's not the point. The point is actually meeting your friends and having a drink. And the food is sort of secondary. And, um, you know, all the stuff I just said, it's hard to put down in, in a few in one word translation. But it's funny you ask that because, I mean, food in Italy is so difficult to translate. And this past week, I just let you know, I do food tours as well. And Melissa Clark was just here, and we yes. were doing. Yes, you had your awful tour. We had our awful tour, and it wasn't awful at all. It was wonderful, <laughs> but it did, but it did deal with innards. And one of the things that we both learned, you know, we were in, we were both in Umbria, in Rome, and in Florence, is you know the same little part of an animal can have you know ten different words depending where you are in Italy. And for me, that's sort of the fascinating thing. There's always something more to learn. I'm, you know, you, you said I'm an expert in Italian food, but I find it hard to believe that anybody's an expert. I think that uh, there's always something to learn. Well, since you brought up Melissa Clark, tell me about your food tours and your daughter, Sophie. 
So uh, when I first started my blog, I didn't really know, you know, back in the early days of blogs, I didn't really know what it would lead to and how it would make money because blogs don't make money. And so one of the things that it led to was doing food tours and people started asking me for food tours and I didn't quite know what they were at the time. Nobody's really doing them in Rome. And so I started doing them and I did market tours around several different neighborhoods in Rome on my own and was immediately very busy. Um, doing these tours. And I was doing it on my own for a few years. And then luckily, my daughter graduated, Sophie, graduated university, she was going to school in London, came back here, and I convinced her to work with me. And so now, uh, we both got sort of more work than we can handle. She's doing handling the day by day tours here in Rome, I do some of them as well. Um, but my time is mostly focused on our week in Italy tours. And those are deep dives into different regions. We're currently doing tours in Rome, in Florence and in Puglia. And we do them on our own. And they're usually six nights. We do them on our own. Sometimes we partner with people. I've partnered with Melissa Clark twice. And Evan Kleiman, who is located in LA. She's a cookbook author and the host best. of food. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then uh, in July, we're doing one with Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, author cool. of Great Love. Yeah. We're doing one in Puglia. So it's, it's a fun excuse to uh, collaborate with friends and also see Rome from and, and Italy in general from a different point of view. What influence did Anna Tosca Lanza and her cooking school have on you? Um, well, I just remember, you know, seeing uh, the book really early on, you know, when I first moved to Italy, uh, working on my dissertation, um, I can remember, you know, picking up the Marcella Hazan books, cooking through them. And then there were these books by also by Anna Tascalanza and, you know, these beautifully illustrated books. And Sicilian food at the time, even in Italy, people didn't weren't really talking about it. And I just found it fascinating. And when I started writing about uh, food and getting sent on press trips, I found myself at, at the Tosca d'Amerita state and um, and seeing these pictures of, of, of the food processes, processes that were going on um, in both of the you know houses on the estate. And there was one house that sort of focused on the wine. And then there was Ana Tascalanza at the other at the other villa. And I would see these pictures of like women pouring tomato sauce on wooden planks in a sun drenched courtyard making tomato paste. And and, you know, and, she, and her recipes talked about these, you know, really um, romantic memories of, you know, the house cook sort of teaching her how to make things and with the ingredients from the, from the land. And, and, and always something was something that stuck in my head. And over the years, I've made it back there as many times as possible. And I'm really happy to, to, to recreate a menu uh, inspired by my time there. You have a gorgeous porchetta in this cookbook. What <laughs> is the key to a good porchetta? Well, obviously, the key to any of these dishes is getting great ingredients. And uh, the other thing is that you have to sort of, a lot of these recipes that people love are often eaten in certain places. For instance, porchetta is most likely eaten at the side of the road. You know, as you're driving through Italy, there's a porchetta stand and he's got, you know, this 200 pound pig on the side of the road that he's cutting, you know, thick slices off of. I don't think anybody that's buying my book has an oven big enough to fit a pig in it. And so the, 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 cha- the challenge of my recipe was creating a porchetta that you could cook at home. And in which in that case, it was something that would, you know, fit in your oven, have all that crispy skin, have all the nice juicy fat, but not get dried out in the middle. And so I, working with my local butcher in Umbria, I came up with that recipe. So it has all those things. And it's just super easy. Once you get the really right cut of meat, 
you barely season it. I mean, you season it correctly, tie it up correctly. You put it in the oven and you walk away. So I have, and I have to say most of the recipes in the book are, are for, for, you know, no, not a lot of work. I can't talk about porchetta without bringing up freschetta. Describe a freschetta. About a freschetta. Fresh, yes. Sorry. Uh, they're all really hard. You know, everybody, <laughs> everybody mispronounces my name, too, because the C and the H and all those things are really hard to get in Italy. So a frasquetta. A yes. frasquetta is a restaurant in, located in the town of Ariccia. Um, it's south of Rome, and it's known for its porchetta. And these frasquette were originally just little shops, like hole in the walls that uh, would sell wine. And people would sit outside, and to provide shade, they, the owners would put up a few branches to provide shades with leaves still attached, and those are frasche. And so these places became known as fraschette, where you could go get sort of table wine and bring your own food. Eventually, these places started serving their own food, turned into restaurants, but they're still called fraschette today. And one of the places that uh, actually Sophie and I visit a lot is La Selva in Ariccia. And the pictures in the book come from our experience there, which is one of my favorite ones because it's actually located in a, a leafy sort of forest. It looks heavenly. It is. And the food is just, you know, it's what you want to sit down at a park at a, at a picnic bench and eat. It's like, you know, mozzarella and salami and olives. And then, you know, with a few cooked things, including porchetta, maybe some sausages. It's fantastic. So last night I made some of your recipes out of the menu for a late summer dinner under the pergola, even though it's the dead I, of winter I here. I saw that. I saw that. I saw that. You put them on Instagram. They look perfect. Well, I have to say, when people are asking me what's my go-to recipe in the book, it's the bean soup recipe. It's, it's just it's it's so It's two great. minutes. I know. It's two minutes, and people really think you uh, you put a lot more effort into it than you yeah. did. <laughs> I mean, if you start out with, with dried beans and soak them, it does become, you know. But I, I, I do suggest you do that. But I'm not going to tell anybody if you use canned beans. That's okay. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I have to say it's a great winter uh, recipe. But then I find that in the summer, if you serve people like soup, they really appreciate it. It's like something they don't expect and they're sick of eating cold food. Describe the story that went with this menu, how you became a good Italian mama immediately after your daughters were born. Well, one of the things, one of the many things that I realized is that being an Italian mama has lots of sort of unspoken rules. And one of them is that, you know, while you while you stay in the city with your kids, you know, during school year, the minute the school year ends or the weekend comes, you head out to a country house. And I don't know how it is, but everybody seems to have a country house, whether it's your nonna, whether it's, you know, your friends, you go out to the countryside. And so I would pack up the kids and, and go up to the country. And so that's where, you know, even though we live in Rome, I learned to cook a lot and entertain at our house in, in Todi. And, you know, I learned to cook, you know, meals according to the seasons as well, which is something that's, I think, really important. So moving on to my segment called My Last Meal, what would you have for your last supper? Um, you know, it has to do with place as well. So I think I would have to say maybe a plate of carbonara at one of my favorite trattorie perilli in Rome. Just because for me, that sums up sort of everything. It sums up the place I would go for Sunday lunches with my family. It has my favorite waiter, Valerio. Um, it's a place that's always been there before I got there. It will exist long after I leave. And, and the plate of, and you know, the carbonara goes without saying. Where can we find you on the web and social media? On social media, I'm E. Minchilli at Instagram. 
And I am Elizabeth Minkeely on Facebook and E. Minkeely on Twitter. And my website is elizabethminchili.com. And I also have an app, Eat Italy, which is guides for eating your way through Rome, Venice, Florence, Puglia, Umbria, and more and more cities every day. Thanks, Elizabeth, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. It was great to be here. Thanks for having me. Follow Susie Chase on Instagram at Cookery by the Book and subscribe at cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book podcast, the only podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.